Our next reader is a young man that I have been following with much interest. Please welcome to the stage, Van Fan 42. Um, this is called Shore Leave on Drenan 4. The Pleasure Gardens of Miliarka 5 made it the jewel of the inner rim for over five centuries. A great alien evil had enslaved the once peaceful planet. There was only one option, Vanguard. Jesse tells me you're a writer. You're gonna let me read it? Is that a diary? Let me read hey. that. <laughs> Zaxa approached Vanguard. His eyes set on the soldier of fortunes in gorged pelvic region. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? Right. I'm getting over a cold, but today's the first day I feel really good. I, I slept for like 13 hours yesterday. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I mean, I got really knocked out by NyQuil. It was crazy because I woke up in the middle of the night and started texting people and then passed out again. NyQuil is as dangerous as Ambien for just like sleep behavior. No. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> I, I mean, I saw your tweet about accidentally robo tripping. <laughs> yeah, I was just, I was super loopy. Me and my friend did that. In sophomore year of high school, we, we took a bunch of Robitussin and Robotripped. It was a miserable experience. Really? You know, I actually, so I was obviously joking in the tweet, but like, I actually liked Robotripping when I was a teenager. I, I felt like the afterglow was always really good and robo walking was fun. And it felt like, um, like acid junior for me. I don't know. I, I am, uh, I'm endorsing Robotripping. It's a dissociative dextromethorphan. <laughs> yeah. And it was kind of fun at the time. Yeah. I stopped robo I mean, I stopped robo tripping because I became an adult, but I, I stopped <laughs> right. tripping as a as a teenager. I think the last time I robo tripped, I was with a friend of mine and she put on Eminem and I was like, this is so angry. Like I can't listen to like, I don't want to listen to angry music while I'm in this. It was a mess. Yeah, I, I only did it once and then the uh purified dextromethorphan once. Yeah, I guess that's a lot of information about me. <laughs> I'm Catherine D. I'm Nama Cates. Do you want to say it this time? I always say it. Yeah, sure. We met online. appropriate that we started by talking about high school. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about Clay Lifford's movie Slash. It is not a slasher. It is about slash fan fiction and a small subset of the people who enjoy it. Slash premiered at South by Southwest. I remember I remember seeing it at South by when I lived in Texas. Very cool. And it was also shot in Texas. Feels a little bit Texas, like the convention they go to is in Texas. Luckily, it got distribution, and now you, you can watch it, I think, on almost every major streaming platform. It's definitely on Amazon. It got distribution by Gravitas Ventures, which is the company that distributes everything. I've had a few shitty movies get distributed by that. They're Austin-based too, right? Yeah, they are. And they release everything, and it all ends up on Amazon Prime for free. So yeah, if anybody ever wanted to look at my IMDb, which I hope you don't, <laughs> There's a lot of stuff out on Gravitas. So it's actually a company that doesn't, doesn't have a lot of Gravitas, ironically. But this film is one of its gems, I would say. It got like a 92% in Rotten Tomatoes. So critics liked it a lot. It, it was very sweet. I would call it a coming of age story. It's kind of a rom-com. And it had a very mixed reception in the 
meta fandom community. So by that, I mean like fans of, of different fandoms who also enjoy talking about fandom. Right. Like Fansplaining did a great podcast on it where they broke down what they thought the movie got wrong. But yeah, before before we get into to all that, let's jump into the plot a little bit. So it follows Neil, who is a sexually confused 15-year-old boy. Um, he writes Slash fan fiction. And for anyone listening who doesn't know what Slash is, um, Slash is the name for male-specific, male-same-sex um, romantic ships in fandom. So an example of that might be Spock and Kirk or uh, Harry and Draco. You know, it's interesting on fansplaining, they said it's not a genre, but I, I actually do think it's fair to say it's a genre, even if different genres can then fall under it, right? So it used to be that people who liked slash fan fiction were a community in and of themselves. And you'd have to actually like warn people that your fic was going to have slash in it. So there'd be like slash specific spaces. Now that's less true now. So people who maybe are listening to this and they're in fandoms and they're, you know, about to hear the plot and they're like, oh, this doesn't quite jive with my experience. It was more stigmatized. And because it was more stigmatized, it had sort of a different vibe. So not that there's no longer like queer or slash specific spaces within fandoms. That's obviously not true. But the way it was represented, even in 2016, it was more taboo than it is today in 2023. Anyway. Okay, so, so wait, I, I want to just back up a little bit, because as someone who is probably less familiar with fandoms and with Slash than you are, let's clarify these definitions. So Slash is a romantic pairing between two characters that aren't normally paired together. Right. I mean, it's usually not canonical, but sometimes it is. It's any male same sex. Oh, okay. Um, so it is specifically male same sex. Right. I'm actually like blanking on the term, but there's a different term for uh, female same sex. And maybe just like a more general definition of fanfic is it's not necessarily erotic, right? But it usually is. No, it's not necessarily erotic. Um, it's it's it, a, a lot of it. A lot of it isn't um, even even fan fictions where there's a ship. So that's that's a slang term within fandom to talk about a relationship or a pairing, right? Is it necessarily yes. erotic? Um, right. And even Slash, right, isn't necessarily erotic. Um, but this movie is specifically about erotic Slash. Yeah. So a really shy high schooler who, like you said, is sexually confused, played by Michael Johnston. He writes this uh, Slash. And he meets a girl who also writes it, who's kind of more of a bad girl, played by someone named Hannah Marks, who was very, very cute. And they like fall in love and, and go on this road trip to this convention. They go to a, a party while they're there. Like, take Molly for the first time. The main character, Neil, meets up with a an older guy there who's a moderator, played by Michael Ian Black, which I think was a, a nice part. But then he realizes he's actually into Hannah Marx's character named Julia. And his story is selected to, to be read like he's a featured reader and hers wasn't. And it turns out because she was under 18. There's a lot of cute stuff about that. So I just wanted to kind of get the basic thought out of the way. I did notice, as you might remember, when I started playing this film, that there was one Peter Vac also in the opening credits of um, Actors and Dime Square fame, the Crumps piece we discussed to death on Incel. Oh, yeah. I, you know, it's so funny. I didn't... It, it, it's a weird thing I've, like, realized about that milieu is, like, obviously, they've been around for a minute. They're all, like, you know, 
a lot of them are touching 40 at this point, right? Peter Vac's probably in his <laughs> mid-30s. Well, yeah. Yeah, but not just that they've been around for a while, but that I've been, like, I've consumed media with them in it, not knowing, right? Like, I lo- <laughs> I've, I've actually seen multiple multiple movies with Peter Vax, not like clocking. It was Peter Vax. That's what I was going to ask. If you knew that, that like he was in it, you said you went to the premiere. If you knew that this film was a product of any of that or anything like that. Um, I think it's just part of like the indie film scene. I mean, it's so easy to forget that these people yeah. are part of a, a wider network and a wider fabric just because, True. <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. Like I actually saw the famous sailor socialism clip with Dasha. I was at South by that year and I saw that go down. Cause I was like such a, I was such an info wars orbiter at that time. I remember thinking like, Oh, really? Is this here? Yeah. I, I was a real weirdo. I remember like hearing about it and then it went viral. I used to go to South by every year for like a decade. So I, I've witnessed quite a lot of uh, South by uh, big <laughs> events and, and, you know, cool movies. I remember when like Lena Dunham from your tiny furniture, I was deep, deep into South by. <laughs> well, I get it. I mean, I was in film. That was a pretty good festival. And if you live in Austin, why wouldn't you go? Yeah, it was so much fun. 2016 was such a good year. There's a few really beautiful films and Slash, Slash was one of them. Um, it It's interesting. I think also there is a documentary, like a very experimental and like, I don't think I can necessarily watch it again, but as like a performance experience in that specific context, it was really good. It was a documentary about furries and the intersection with the kink community. It was like a very good fandom year. It's called Ruckus. Um, Ruckus, yes. Yeah. Funny, I actually wanted to have the director on the computer room and he declined because he thought I was alt-right. And I was like, cool. Hmm. That's (laughs) definitely an alt-right thing to like compassionately talk about. (laughs) <laughs> let's get into the controversy about it a little bit so the the fandom community the fandom fandom didn't like it very much um it got um a, a terrible review and either like the daily dot um or vox uh, and i i was listening to um the hosts of uh, fan explaining discuss it because they felt like um slash culture and like fandom culture wasn't accurately represented in it. And I totally see what they mean. Um, but what I think they missed and, and I wish that I had listened to that episode when it was current and they would, you know, remember, or I could send in a comment is that this is specifically about like erotic fan fiction. Um, and it's like even more than like erotic fan fiction. It's like, like they, they said that the, the website that, Neil and Julie are posting to looked like it's supposed to be fanfiction.net. That might be true. I think it's more likely that it was supposed to be like a mashup of literatica and fanfiction.net. And the thing yeah, is, it, it looked like literatica, which I'm familiar with. Right. Like the thing, the thing is the erotic literature community has some intersection with fandom, but it's a different world and it has sort of a different vibe to it. It's a little bit more web 1.0. It's not quite as progressive. There probably are more women than is portrayed in, in the film. And there was another complaint that there weren't enough women and the slash community really is overrepresented by women. Yeah. Um, it's a, like feminist even. And very yeah. progressive. I would say that, yeah, the, like the crowd that they sort of, the, the representation at the con that they staged looked kind of like a a regular comic con, like people in costumes and a a lot of 
guys. And I've never actually been to anything like any of those, but I have friends who've gone to some of them and I've seen obviously images from them. And it looked to me exactly like a, a Harry Potter convention or like a comic con with superheroes and stuff. And that's probably <laughs> different, right? Well, the thing is there's two communities are like two types of people, like very speaking very, very broadly, who are in these spaces. There's sort of like this like old school kind of geek, right? Like that Michael Ian Black's character represents, usually male, weird in a way that you can't quite put your finger on. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of the platonic ideal of like the basement dweller. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then there's this other kind that's more progressive you know, the platonic ideal of like the Tumblr user. And I don't mean this as like a dunk on anyone, like fandom is actually like very, very diverse. And like it it changes from, you know, fandom to fandom. And, it, you know, there's all of these caveats here. But um, when you're thinking of people who are going to be at these events and like what it actually looks like in practice, um, it's it's those two demographics. And I think that- so what is What is the platonic ideal of a Tumblr user? Like a- you know, like a like woman uh, early twenties or like like you qu- usually queer. Um, you yes. know, uh, maybe assigned female at birth. Uh, you know, a quirky haircut. Uh, you know, really really likes. You know, has a whole like a whole bunch of fandoms that they really like. Uh, they're more socially justice minded, and that's sort that's sort of like you know one flavor. Okay. And, uh, and then the other flavor is sort of the, like, again, like Michael Ian Black's character, like he's, he's a little older, he lives with his parents um, and he's, he's, you know, he's kind of a loser and he finds freedom and identity in this space. And, and one last uh, disclaimer I want to give, I get like, again, I can't emphasize enough. It's, it's a really, really diverse space and there's certainly more identities than what I just described, but like in terms of like, who's going to conventions in the time and place, like who's going to go to a small convention in right. in Texas? In Texas in 2016. Right. It's probably one of these two groups of people. Um, but okay. of course, they come in all shapes and sizes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they're also racially diverse, which is something that I think gets forgotten a lot. But anyway. Right. Well, now that you've described that, I would say that maybe the film was kind of showing Julia and Neil as being the latter demographic that you described sort of up against the older like Michael Ian Black's character that were actually they were moderators and yeah they were like around 40 and they even had kind of like a standoff with them toward the end so maybe they were trying to I don't know represent some of that conflict if it exists. So apparently the director Clay Lifford said that he wasn't a fan fiction writer but he he was in like different sort of fringe communities and he was trying to describe his experiences and his his own confusion as a teenager yeah which the film does really well but you know like that being said mansplaining in particular i recommend that show uncritically it's it's a wonderful podcast but i think specifically when they were critiquing this film like i feel like they're a little bit myopic like there is this kind of geekier wider more male-centric expression of this that exists that's it's just it's just different and it, it is sort of kind of tucked away especially in texas because I've, I've been to so many events like this not erotic ones but you see the same exact people at hardcore like pagan festivals or like renaissance fairs it's like uh-huh, the same uh-huh. demographic 
Right. Um, and I mean, I've just been to more than any one adult should attend <laughs> in Texas specifically. Uh, yeah. I, I always had a theory about the nexus between like Star Trek and Renaissance, you know, Ren fairs and like some of this, you know, uh, I think there's even a, a Margaret, Margaret Cho in one of her standups talks about some kind of overlap between leather sex and Star Trek and Maybe she says Ren Fairs, or maybe that's my own addition. But I've been to a couple of those. I've always found them really fun. But like the the crowd is so the whole illusion of living during the Renaissance and being like a courtesan or some kind of a peasant milkmaid or whatever fantasy one might want to enjoy at one of these events is kind of crushed by the the attendees, I find. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. There's, I have this one memory and I'm, I'm I always hesitant to bring it up because I feel like it, it almost says more about me than the event, but it, it, <laughs> uh, I went to some Renaissance festival outside of Dallas and I saw like an Indian guy in sort of like a fully realized like Viking get up and something about that, like made me so sad <laughs> because it was just like, he could never be a, I don't know something about it. Just like, I just yeah. reacted to and it was just exactly that reason like there's just <laughs> like it, yeah, the, either like you can't afford a good costume or like yeah. it just something doesn't drive and then I've and I always felt like this sort of you know like white liberal guilt about it too like oh like uh, an Indian guy can't be a Viking and it was like this weird internal <laughs> argument <laughs> but, but no, on the record no I don't think Indian men could be Vikings uh, <laughs> like South Indian or like American Indian Oh, he was like a, like a South Asian man. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. South Asian. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah, sometimes I've never been to like a civil war reenactment either, but I, I would imagine there would be some anachronisms floating around in there too. <laughs> also seeing like people with Botox at those things. Botox are like on their iPhones is another yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. The illusion is, is easily shattered, but what you're talking about being like the kind of geekier contingent that would attend these things. I think, well, I guess when it comes down to it, what the film is exploring is coming of age and finding a place where you fit in first relationships and crushes. And it is kind of exploring fandom a little bit and writing as a, as a creative outlet and a way of finding one's voice, maybe more broadly than it is trying to like accurately represent a specific community but that naturally that community would be protective over. Well, yeah. I mean, I, part part of it is like when this movie came out, there were so few representations of fandom. And like, I think on fansplaining, they said that like there was the book Fangirl and then this movie. Uh, so either representations of fandom or representations of Slash specifically. And they felt like this is certainly like the first movie that's like a dedicatedly about Slash. And this isn't really the community that we know, which I understand. One thing I think the movie does really beautifully is, so Neil writes same-sex erotica, and he has this flirtation with Michael Ian Black's character that is also handled very sensitively, Michael Ian Black's character. Beautifully, really. Yeah, turning him down. But the thing that I love about is it shows that like as a young man, like you could have this curiosity and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're gay. And it, 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 it it's not the way it's, it's not homophobic at all. It's also not like biphobic. It does such a good job at saying like, he's just 
confused. And this is the first time he's really experiencing physical attraction in his body. Um, and he just, he yeah. doesn't know how to make sense of it because there's this real, there's a scene that I tear up, um, which is just like so familiar to me where he looks at Julia. This is after they go, they go to a rave. If anyone hasn't been to a convention, this is the weird thing that's like at every convention, there's always a rave, right? And people, that's where people do drugs and hook up. Of and course they go there back- would be, I mean, you know. Right, right. <laughs> so they go back to their hotel room and we don't know if they had sex or like what they do. We, we do know something physical happens. He looks at her and, and says, you're the first person I've been attracted to. And like, you realize like this whole movie is about him writing this erotic fiction, but like, it's because he doesn't, like he has feelings and that he doesn't know where to put them or how to make sense of them. And in that moment is the first moment that he realizes, oh, this is what, this is what it means. And this is what it looks like. And this, this is how I feel it in my body. Yeah. I think that the camera sort of hints at that throughout the film because he's writing this same sex fiction and we see the images of that, whatever the sci-fi world of Vanguard is that his stories are about, they actually show those in these dream sequences. And they're sort of, I guess, sexy in a very cheesy way. But then when he's just hanging out with Julia, the way the camera kind of like shows her body sometimes or like these tense little moments when he's looking at her, there's an actual sexual tension. And I didn't know because I didn't know with this film, like what it was going to end up being about or what it was going to be exploring. I was confused by that. So it was actually very successful because he was confused and it was trying to portray confusion because he never says that he's gay at the beginning, but it's assumed by Julia and by us because he writes this slash that he is. But then it's pretty obvious that he's attracted to her and he doesn't know what to do with it. The film is really progressive. Just the fact that he wasn't, you know, the stereotypical representation would be that a 15-year-old guy was like shying away from admitting or announcing that he was gay, despite having very strong same-sex attraction. And in this, it was almost the other way around. And even in this scene, when he has that sort of heart-to-heart with Michael Ian Black, um, after, you know, he tries to kiss him and... Like William Black realizes how old he is and everything. Um, he even tells him, like, I think you'll end up choosing to be queer, right? Doesn't he say that? Because it's easier to find acceptance there. Yeah. I, I was surprised by that. Um, yeah, I thought that was that was really that was really insightful. Um, you know, it, and I, I think it's sort of it also touches upon something that I think that we really don't know how to talk about, especially now, um, with the internet, is people use sexuality as a form of creative expression and exploration yeah. Um, yeah. that it doesn't necessarily match with what they're actually into. Yeah, and there's sure. more, there's more and less extreme expressions of this. It's like why I really hesitate when people, you know, want to pass judgment on stranger, even like more sinister fandoms that like kids are getting, or like even fan- like genres that kids are involved with maybe as like a subcultural a signal or something like not that I agree with having access to like, uh, you know, hand-drawn photos of like two dragons fucking or something like that. I mean, there's, there's certain things that are like beyond the pale, but to two me, dragons? Like, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of like something, something That's wacky, fine. <laughs> but you, you know, like I, I can understand like why like a parent might not be comfortable with that or like why that might um, invite derision, but also like it's a, it's, 
sexuality channeled through something else that it like it doesn't necessarily mean that you're really attracted to that um another um maybe more relatable example that you see a lot in fandom is incest as a trope you also see that in porn a lot it's not a literal like interest in in incest and i'm like i'm not defending it and it's not something that i support but also it can't be understood as like straightforwardly a perversion it's just like when you're figuring things out especially in this this world like weird things start to happen and you don't actually know what you like until you start having sex when you're sexless and using sex as creative expression things get things get warped real quick um and this movie hmm. does a really good job at i think exploring that in a non-judgmental non-scary non-fear-mongering way yeah Neil was supposed to be completely virginal and Julia was actually supposed to be kind of somewhat sexually experienced, right? Like she had a tougher looking, she was a year older than him and she had like a, someone that looked like kind of a boyfriend played by Peter Vack, <laughs> uh, who was kind of like a caricature of like a tougher guy. He had like a mustache and he looked a bit older and he was a bit of a bully trying to emasculate Neil and then being a little bit abusive to her. And he was also undermining them and, and mocking the the fandom. Like at one point he was saying to him, who he obviously recognized as a, uh, a sexual rival before they even knew it. Like, you should see the pictures I took of her in those those elf ears. Like, yeah, sometimes every- all she was wearing were those elf ears. And I, yeah. I, that felt so sinister because yeah. like earlier in the film, he says to Neil, like, thank God you took her off my hands. You, you know, she wouldn't stop riding my yeah. dick or something. Um, and I mean, he's just mean to her. It's just a mean character. Yeah, he's just just a, a complete asshole. Neil actually stands up to him. And I think a probably self-defining moment for him, too. So I think she was supposed to be more sexually experienced. She obviously was. And she was also very self-confident. There was a scene where she was over Neil's house at dinner and it was after what did his parents he he was getting in trouble occasionally for writing this stuff in school he like had to go to detention over over it um and at home his parents were concerned about it though they were notably very sensitive they tread with caution when talking about his sexuality they were like i don't know about this stuff that you should be writing this stuff like it it, it could get you in trouble not not the not the gay part of it uh so he, he was in trouble and she kind of came over to his house and, and talked him up as a writer. And his dad was um, obviously very taken with her because she was, you know, showed herself as being very progressive and intelligent, and kind of mature, like this mature, older 16 year old woman. So they, they had little excerpts and, and scenes with both of their writing in the movie, not as much of hers. The most memorable scene with her writing which I think was kind of interesting was one of the first scenes in the movie, maybe the, the second scene in it when they were in like an e- English class and she was reading some of her writing and she got in trouble for it because it was supposed to be like a, a narrative about some experience they had. But hers was, she was at a gas station and someone had approached her and like pushed a gun up against her, her back. And it was obviously treading into more kinky territory in that way. So I feel like she was also exploring that element maybe non-consensual erotic thriller territory though they didn't really come back to it yeah she i mean she she just seemed like she was i you know i i think i think part of that is it's it's comparing and contrasting exploring your sexuality as a virginal male 
Exactly. And then, yeah. and then as a woman, it's a slightly different experience. I feel like she was trying to push the envelope. Um, and there's hints that like, maybe, you know, part of it was like asserting a more adult identity because of her, her fraught home life. There's also, you know, she's also makes a big show of like drinking and like playing up being drunk and hungover, which is a yeah. very like adolescent thing. Um, like she's playing at being a bad girl. Her, yeah. her friend that she hangs out with is pregnant, uh, you know, yeah. and 16. And she also invites Neil to to ditch like right away. That's the first thing they do and they drive around. So yeah, she's she's kind of acting out as a bad girl and, and he's a very sort of sheltered, good little boy, very quiet, hardly ever says anything throughout the movie. There was a, a mean, cute little scene where she said, like, you know, you can't be stoic in that in that fan <laughs> costume. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, because he's he's sulking after he gets into the confrontation with Mike, Peter, Peter Vack's character. Um, he throws a, I think, a beer bottle at his van after he makes that comment about the nude photos he has of Julia. What I think is another important distinction between them, where Neil's really trying to work out his sexuality, Julia is trying to work out her identity in sort of a different way. She's trying to fit in also. And you sort of see that she changes her pregnant friend describes how she has seen her go through these identity evolutions. And one of the last scenes in the film is she's dressed sort of gothy and has a new goth boyfriend. And I think her plot is more like trying to make space for herself through these different subcultures where Neil is more just trying to figure out who he is in a more fundamental way. Yeah, and and in that way, I'd say that, like, paradoxically, Neil has sort of a stronger sense of himself, at least. He's not rebelling all the time. Yeah, I think I think that's accurate. He also has a better relationship with his parents. Right, exactly. And that's probably why he has that stronger sense of himself and doesn't need to rebel, because we don't actually meet Julia's parents. There's just a scene where she talks about how her dad actually was gay and committed suicide and her mom is very religious her her house is is empty like when they're there there's nobody home there's a scene when (laughs) they're about to take the molly at the party and neil obviously having been steeped in like dare programming and after school specials says i I don't know haven't you ever heard of an acid flashback i I don't want to wake up in the middle of the night a year from now and stab my parents and julia says that makes one of us (laughs) Yeah, he, he's such a cute character. He really, his parents are really sort of like the platonic ideal of like the good liberal parents too. Yes. Yeah. With his his sister, who's like a couple of years older, that actress who played her was was great. I, I don't know who she is, but she was a, a funny character and she's kind of like in a band or something. And they, they just have this quirky, supportive family. They sit down for dinner every day and it's in contrast to, to Julia. Yeah. She's, she's, she's very sort of like latchkey kid. Let's talk a little bit about Michael Ian Black subplot because, you know, we've been saying it, it was handled well, but we didn't, we didn't really discuss what happened. Yeah. So when Neil and Julia first meet, she introduces him to the site, the rabbit hole is what it was called, right? The, that was the, yeah, the slash site. And when he goes to post his first story there, he has to confirm that he's over 18, like you, you know, you have to do for many websites. And um, and he even hesitates to do that because like it's dishonest, or maybe he's looking for a reason to avoid exposing his work to this audience. But either way, after he does it, he gets a like an instant message from do you remember the screen name? I don't. 
I, I don't. And I just went to look it up. And then I realized it's not going to be anywhere on the internet. Um, and yeah, the message is it's, if anyone, anyone who's ever been in a chat room is very familiar with these messages, a random sort of like forward, just leading with his cock. Um, yeah. And then he apologizes for being too forward. And then they have this back and forth and they have a less uh, sexually charged small talk. Um, yeah, the, the, the first message was, do you like fat dicks? <laughs> just oh, yeah, yeah, right yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what ends up happening is that this character invites him to to read his story at the, the live reading. But in this exchange, they're limited on space, and it's between him and Julia. And he asks if Julia's 18. He says, weird question, is she 18? And Neil says no. And yeah. he gets to read, and she doesn't. I thought I completely was misled by this. I thought that this was going to be a sort of predator plot in the film. What this character who ends up, you know, being Michael Ian Black, the moderator says is that he's a big fan of Neil's work, but not a fan of Julia's, but that his editor is. And he also asked Neil his age and they asked Julia's 18. So I, I thought they were, I thought this was going to turn into something like these are looking for underage kids to groom. And they do touch on that and, and address that later when they're actually at the convention. I think that the filmmaker was aware that it might look like it's going in this direction. And then it didn't. And I was very pleasantly surprised that, that it didn't go there. Yeah. Cause it's like a delicate thing and it's something you know, as much as grooming exists in these communities, certainly. Um, oh, God. I, and it probably, and I, you know, I, I'm not going to defend that at all. There's also a very weird thing that happens where, like, older people, you know, adults who are at the fringes are interacting a lot with younger people. And it can and it, it can be very difficult, especially when there is a sexual element in fandom that can't really be denied. No, I'm I am disgusted by the grooming discourse. At this point, like you said, of course it happens. And obviously we all condemn it. I had to deal with a very blatant case of, of that recently that makes it harder for me to deny. There was, uh, you know, in the Encelosphere, there were some offshoot sites that were run by actually one adult married man who would go in and pose as an incel to get underage kids in there, girls and boys. There was a whole ring of these guys just recently sentenced like a month ago, actually. So yeah, that, that absolutely happens and it's absolutely disgusting. But like you said, it's also a big part of coming of age to an extent for younger people to have relationships with older people. And there's a lot more nuance there. I completely reject this idea that any relationship between an adult, like a teenager is always grooming, especially in the queer world. It, yeah, it, it's, it's hard, right? It can be like a form of, it, I, you know, I'm, I'm very, um, I don't, I don't want to minimize it at all because it's, I think especially sometimes in these communities where that level of mentorship is needed are the same communities that are the most exploited. Yeah, no, it's, you're right. It's true because there is, there is obviously exploitation that goes on and grooming that goes on. I, I just, I guess I feel that word particularly is overused now to the point where it's sure. Yeah. Lost its it, meaning, you know, like what really. Right. Like it's not, it's not grooming to have a frank conversation about set about sex. Right. Um, Especially like it as it's portrayed in this film, um, where Neil is sort of looking for trouble because he's feeling insecure. Um, he basically what happens with uh Michael Ian Black's character is uh Neil kisses him 
uh, this is so he had hooked up with Julia. Julia disappears. They had written some fanfic together. She tears it up. Um, he Neil feels rejected. I mean, and it's so heart wrenching because he, remember he says this line: "This is the first time that I've ever felt attracted to someone," and this is ostensibly his first kiss and his first physical expression of attraction. He gets immediately rejected. He's on the, like the Molly come down. And so he throws himself at Michael Ian Black and they end up in his car and all, you know, all they do is kiss and, and Michael Ian Black, you know, catches a, a vibe that he's not of age. He asks, um, Neil's honest. And he says, look, no, but he, d- and he gives him this pep talk that is sort of, or not even a pep talk. He, he talks to him about it in a way that's very at arm's length that keeps the boundary up. And um, you know, lets him know that he, this isn't how you resolve this. And he doesn't cross the line. And I think those kinds of conversations, as much as like the abuse is familiar, that kind of like mature handling and, and reinforcement of, of boundaries is also very familiar for yeah. anyone who's been in those circles. Yeah, exactly. And I think maybe this is sort of a something that, that has changed with the times and it's becoming more boundaries like that are more strictly enforced. People are more sensitive to them. Not only are conversations like that familiar, but sometimes I think even when lines were crossed, it wasn't experienced by the people involved as exploitative, you know? So, so calling it that is, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a gray area. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's complicated and I feel like we use such harsh language. Um, like, grooming or exploitation when like inappropriate might suffice or, yes, you know there's, right, there's different exactly, yeah. right, there's, there's like just different i think it's i think it's really case by case by case um and you know not everything you know the the other thing is like sometimes things are exploitative or abusive but they're not traumatic and that's yeah. another that's another nuance that i don't think is evoked often and it, it just it just depends on like what happened right um right. but yeah i think i think that that was that was really interesting because I, I I just feel like that was something that like I don't know if I experienced it firsthand um, definitely not in that way but I feel like I knew people who did who like you know experienced that type of rejection and that sort of boundary reinforcement from an adult in kind of a quirky oddball space like fandom um, and you don't you just don't see it you don't see it portrayed very often. Yeah. Usually they, they would have gone for the predator angle and they really, they really didn't, but they acknowledged it. That was kind of what their whole dynamic was about. And even the, before they, you know, so he, he met up with him at the con in one of the, the rooms where I guess his, I don't know if he worked for some kind of website or magazine. He had a coworker played by Missy Pyle, who was, who was an editor. So that's a, that's an interesting thing because that's another thing that um, when the movie came out, people were upset about uh, Missy Pyle's character, uh, Ronnie and what these people's roles were because, and it, you know, an interesting thing about fan fiction is there are no editors, right? There's no right. barrier. Yeah. to entry. And I think this is even discussed in the film. And then it's just yeah, like, it why? Is. Right. And it's like, well, so why are there editors? And what I think, I, I think she's like the web mistress. And to me, this was just revealing that uh, Clay Lifford was operating on like an older model of the web um, where there is a uh. webmaster and there are moderators. And 
I didn't think they were like moderate. They, they weren't editing the stories as one might in a magazine. It was a person who owns the site or like, you know, takes care of operations and then chooses who gets to interact in the real world expression. Right. Like who's featured. Okay. So I thought maybe it wasn't the website. Maybe they actually worked for some publisher or something that wasn't this, but this was just, just the website that they were talking about. And that's what their roles were. They, they weren't like in the, the publishing world, like, publishing comic books or something. Right, right. They were just, yeah. A lot of these uh, sort of like fan run operations have people in uh, positions of authority where they don't get paid, um, and but they take it oh, really yeah. seriously. Um, and I think that, I mean, that's another thing that you don't really, it's sort of like this invisible thing that's like more common in certain communities, but also it's like you forget about it even if like your fandom or your community um is like their home is twitter right where it's like the platform takes care of a lot of that infrastructure um but ostensibly like ronnie who's really a a mean character she's very very bitter she's probably doing like a lot of unpaid labor right yeah which makes people more territorial because it's like this is my baby it's not just a twitter group chat it's like something that they built and they have to design and they have to and because there's moderators like legally that that puts them in an interesting position where yeah. like, they can get in trouble. Like actually that's a that's a footnote that probably no one thought about. But like um with the Communications Decency Act, the the way section 230 is is phrased, like, you know, if Ronnie owns a site and minors are posting on it, because there's moderators, she can get like she can get in trouble. If minors are yeah. interacting with sexually explicit content legally, which the yeah, stakes that's one are of the few things that she can get in trouble for. Yeah, but yeah that, it, that's that's a great point. And now that you bring that to light, yeah, of course she would be both territorial for legal reasons and for their reputation. And just like you said, this is something that's often overlooked, but fandoms and discussion forums now take place on Twitter, you said, or even more commonly like Reddit really that can exist as a discussion forum. Like it it really exists for these in-depth discussions and that's taken care of by a sort of big tech entity with a lot of people that are paid, though there are plenty of moderators on, on Reddit too, of the individual subs who do it for free and it takes a lot of their time. It's still it, the nuts and bolts are handled and the legalities and everything. Whereas incels.is, incels.co, which has to change its name all the time, that's completely run by like a couple people. People criticize it all the time and also ask, uh, you know, wh- why do you do this? But they, people really take pride in something like that when it's when they're devoting that much work to it and when it becomes popular and when it stays up and when it avoids legal penalties and all the things that can go wrong. Like, yeah, that's a big deal. And it, I mean, for a lot of people also, it's their whole identity. And it's I think, home, like, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, I, and I, I think that is really, um, it's, it's really underestimated and it's, it's, it's really, it's really underappreciated as well. Like how many people are completely anchored in these digital communities? Yeah. So, yeah, I think I want to talk a little bit, kind of what we got into at the beginning, but about fan fiction and fandom and specifically this sort of fan fiction. In the film, they do a little bit of this, which I wonder, you know, because you listened to that, that fansplaining episode, if they liked some of the meta discussion in the movie about it, where Neil jumps into a conversation, conversation between Ronnie and, and Michael Ian Black's character, but he jumps in and mentions that the Bronte sisters um, wrote fan fiction. And I... I didn't know this and I looked it up and they did. They wrote stories about Napoleon, 
that were uh, well-liked and even considered like prophetic of <laughs> all kinds of things. And there are some authors with fan fiction backgrounds that have made it into the mainstream, most notably Fifty Shades of Grey began as um, Twilight fanfic, which I did not know. I did know that about Twilight. I, I mean, there's so many things that have come from fan fiction, like even in the more contemporary understanding of it, of like someone on an archive of our own, which is a very famous fan fiction website or fanfiction.net or, you know, just somewhere else and it turning into a mainstream property. And obviously this happened with literature, but we didn't have like a conception of fandom or like think of it in those terms but yeah i mean the the space has changed like radically and i think so they they didn't like the the meta discussion and fansplaining and for a little background about fansplaining uh these are two people who um they're in fan studies i've pretty sure. I think they they study fandom academically. They're both involved in fandoms. Um, they're really deep in the weeds. And they felt like it was just not an accurate portrayal of the community. One thing that they mentioned was they they use the word genre instead of shipping. It, shipping being relationship pairing. Another thing they were like joking around about, there's a, a fan fiction in the movie called uh, A Panty Raid at Slytherin or something to this effect. Um, and to me, that just like underscored that this was like a niche of a niche, right? It like wasn't even it wasn't just a uh, slash within fanfic, but it was like erotic slash of a particular flavor that is going to be like kind of corny. Yet another issue that like the sort of like meta fandom discussion had an issue with was how bad the writing was. I was gonna say the writing was terrible. Uh, every example of it, it, it did kind of seem like a mockery. Okay, so here's my devil's advocate. There's a lot of really good writing, a lot of really well-written fanfic. I mean, there's fanfic that I found at eight years old that I revisit to this day, you know? Um, so it's it's over 20 years later. Like what? Uh, like certain like Harry Potter fan fictions that are just like really good. They held up. However, there's a lot of really shit writing there's a lot of shit writing that gets puffed up and gassed up as like being really good, but it's because of the community element. And also, um, if anyone's ever read amateur erotic literature of any kind, um, it's the worst thing in the world. Yeah, like it's I don't absolute it's, garbage. Yeah, like I said, it's like a niche of a niche, and I don't understand why. Of course, it's not going to be like super good. And you, you know, it's a film also, so you want to make the point. But it's just like I actually thought that was accurate. Like none of it's. It's like a very like beauty is in the eye of the beholder kind of situation because a lot of this stuff is good, like in the moment. But it's like not good if you're like hearing it back third party. And same goes with like text-based role-playing, you know? Right. It's like I've I've thought personally that I've like, I, you know, I, I was a big text-based role player. And I would always think like, oh, I got to turn this into a book. This is like so good. This is collaborative writing. Like me and this, you know, rando woman in Kansas are like writing the next great American novel. And then I'll like read it back. And it's like, it was fun as hell, but it's not literature. I mean, it just yeah. sucks ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting because I've, I've never really been involved with fanfic. I've never really read it. I don't know why, because when I think about it now, there were definitely books, movies, games even that I would have really enjoyed having like a little rabbit hole into a, a moment that like just wanting to live in that world a little bit more and, and like be this character for a little bit longer and experience something else as them. It totally would have 
love doing that. And maybe I would daydream about characters from books I was reading or movies. Daydream a fanfic. Never, never write it, which maybe speaks to my laziness. <laughs> but um, in that sense, it, it's something that I would have really liked, but I've been put off by, well, by the writing, by the, you know, by the quality of the writing from the little of it I did see. Like there are um, video games. Gaming is is somewhere where you can kind of play with this. When you play like the video game version of a movie, you kind of get to like be that character a little bit more. And video games, some of them are, like you said, it's fun as hell in the moment. Certainly wouldn't hold up as literature, even if it's like well-written for a game. It's a very specific thing. And then a few years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, I was playing some game on my iPhone, like some card game. And you know how they have these little advertisements for different games you can download all the time that are usually um, in have, you know, they're free, but they have in-app purchases for whatever, like a decoration. Uh, there was one for uh, a game called Chapters, I think, or Choices that was like an iOS romance adventure game. And I downloaded it for some reason. I was bored and it was pretty fun to play like for a little bit. You chose what genre of story you did and you gave your character a name. <laughs> but it, obviously the writing was not anything at all. A monkey could have done it. And it was... Do you remember Choose Your Own Adventure books? I do. I do remember them. It, like that kind of uh, gives me the, the same the same feeling where it's like, this isn't really so much about the writing. It's certainly not literature. It's about this uh, kind of disposable fun. I would guess that a lot of it tends toward being erotic. There's something sort of masturbatory about it a little bit, like not in a, I'm not even saying it in a bad way, just like wanting to live with those characters a little bit longer is either going to be like about sex or it's going to be about like just love and romance novels also are not usually like great literature, but like there's something disposable about it, you know? Yeah, because I, I mean, I think what what you're getting at is like there's a difference between a text that you you know you can analyze and sit with and is sort of like a painting with words. Uh, please excuse the cliche, and then a a text that's designed to be experienced. It is like it, it there is something very like participatory about fanfic and role playing, and not all literature is. Some literature is both. You know, it's both a work of art and an experience. But I think like. For fanfic, not always, but a lot of the time, especially the fanfic as it's expressed in this movie, it's inviting participation and it's an experience. And it's also a lot like part of the work is the community and it is the website that it's posted on, which is something, again, that I really wish that fansplaining went into because fanfiction changes flavor depending on where it's hosted. And I think that this is like another lesson of the film that maybe is something that like maybe someone who's only in these spaces would take away but like if you post your your fanfic on fanfiction.net um or if you post it on an archive of our own or if you post it on tumblr or you post it on live journal um or you know any of these very these these spaces that i'm mentioning that are uh revealing my age um it, it all has a different <laughs> yeah it has all has like a different texture to it and it all says and, and it's based on like who interacts with it and how do they interact with it and is there a comment section and can you upvote it you know and there's all these different yeah. you know what does it mean to reblog fan fiction um but now now i'm really really meandering <laughs> well it's a i mean i think it's a meandering topic and one that like we should come back to that and and text 
based role play because this is one of those that I've always lurked on the on the very outside of and you've immersed in maybe as a homework assignment me and and the readers our listeners can have a look at some if there's any that you recommend and in this film they were science fiction right they were a comic book series or tv shows or did it not specify i, I think it was like like sort of like a pulpy sci-fi novel yeah. okay um, but there's there's other things and like they had different people from different fandoms there was like harry potter was one yeah. of them they you know they had a whole sort of cornucopia of different fandoms but yeah the homework should be i think everyone should look up something they like like a movie or a book you know there's also something called real person fit which is a little bit stigmatized but it's like about that? one direction or the beatles or something and find a fan fiction that you like or maybe write some of your own yeah real person fic is the same except it's about real and, and possibly living people yeah i used to do some of it with like historical figures um, Ooh, like what so that, that was like when i was in it was, it's so funny i was talking to one of my friends about this this morning like when i was learning about rome in middle school i was like oh these guys seem cool i would write fan fiction about them and post it online that's to be more just like historical fiction but that's to my point about where it's hosted right in that case so people do it for, about pop stars a lot it's like very common like i said with like one direction for example um, or like certain K-pop bands, but those like those are always se sexual, aren't they? Not not always. Okay. Somet sometimes, but not always. But I, you know, I think like my Rome historical fiction is not really historical fiction; it's fan fiction. But because of how I was interacting with it, and then who it was for, and like what it was doing, and like what it would be used for. So, if something is meant to stand on its own or to be published at some point, it's historical fiction. But if it's just meant to be hosted online pseudonymously it's fanfic um i wouldn't say it's that like you know the line is that clear like that's necessarily the line but i think if you're posting it on a website specifically for fan fiction and you want comments from a fan community and then you might also like role play it and also like you're not necessarily concerned with historical accuracy in the same way i think it can become fandom right it can become fan fiction um it's, I mean, it's also like, where's the line between someone who's in like the Rome fandom per se, or like someone who just is like a history buff. I think there is a difference between the two, but like where, where that line is, is a little bit, it's a little blurry. Uh, yeah. But, but one, one way you can make that distinction is like, well, how are you interacting with the text? Are you on a forum for history buffs or are you on a forum for people who write fanfic? Well, sure. But I think what you hit on, which is the, the essence of the difference is you said role play. That's certainly. Right. Do you take creative liberties with it and why is that what you mean by by role play no i mean i mean role play like literally like i am caesar augustus and i want him to be portrayed by this actor and you know blah 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 right like with and another I, person we've teased the door open to this world of role play that i'm just absolutely fascinated by yeah me too well i guess we'll we'll end it here yeah and we'll talk about that another time baby why it wasn't for the music, I don't know what I'd do. Yeah. Last night a DJ saved my life. Last night a DJ saved my life from a broken heart.